Well, good evening. I want to thank Joe again for this uh, opportunity to speak tonight uh, to you on something that it really is a passion of mine. And it's with a, a lot of joy that I come and share with you all on this subject. And if I want to, if I frame this passion into one big idea for the evening, it would be this. God wants you and I to make him famous among the nations right here, right now. God wants you and I to make him famous among the nations right here and right now. Would you join me in prayer as we ask him to bless the hearing of his word? Lord, we're thankful for the song we sang, the songs we've sung already this evening, declaring your glory, your majesty, your fame. You, O Lord, are the famous one. And we pray that your fame would be spread throughout the world, and especially in this area of, of uh, Metro Philadelphia through this church. We ask in Jesus' name. But well, Warren Buffett is one of the world's most successful investors. And he once said this, that anything good that ever happened to him could be traced back to the fact that he was born at the right place, at the right time, America, in the 1930s. He also said that being a born American is equivalent to hitting the lottery. And he asked if you could put your lotto ball of your American life back into the pool of just 100 balls, and then you could actually pick, would you do it? Would you dare do it? Knowing that one out of those 100 balls, about five of them would read American. And then another 20 would read Chinese, and still another 20 would read Indian, and so on. Would you put your ball back? Well, Buffett guesses that most of you would not. And he concludes that what you're saying is that you are content right now with being among the luckiest 5% of the world. Did you, in fact, beat the odds? Did you beat the odds by being born right here, right now? Have you ever looked at a world map? I do this every once in a while because we have a world map right next to our kitchen table. And just ponder what it would have been like to have been born and then grown up in another place on earth. For example, could you imagine yourself growing up in some Himalayan village somewhere, right? Or perhaps sunny Siberia, or in a tribe in Papua New Guinea, or perhaps even in a majority Muslim nation. What, what would have that been like? Or maybe you've pondered what living at a different time would have been like, like living during the time of Moses, or perhaps during the time of Jesus, or perhaps sometime even in the future, maybe 3019. What, what would that be like? Well, was it just the luck of the draw that puts you right here, right now? Well, some people think so. But to quote uh, the hermit in C.S. Lewis's Narnia book, The Horse and His Boy, he says, quote, I have now lived 109 winters in this world and have never met any such thing as luck. And this evening, I want us to see that God was not just rolling the celestial dice as he handed out your lot here in life. And I'd like us to look at how God is blessing the nations by putting all peoples of the world at the right time, at the right place for his plan and purpose. 
So our scripture tonight, if you have a Bible, would you open and read with me from Acts 17, verses 16 through 34. Acts 17, famous passage of Paul among the people of Athens. And please follow along as I read this very revealing passage. Acts 17, verse 16 through 34. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with, with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each of us. In him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we are not think the divine being is like a gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. And this is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, the Apostle Paul is traveling around the Mediterranean world for the second time, visiting cities in what are the modern-day countries of Turkey and Greece, so if you can picture where he is. Now, here we have the record of Paul's stop in the city of Athens. Well, in the first century AD, Athens had this reputation. It was known for great philosophers like Socrates and Aristotle and Plato, 
as well as Epicurus and Zeno, whose followers are mentioned right there in verse 18. The Athenians were also, as you notice, really very religious people. Everywhere you looked, you were reminded of the Roman pantheon of gods enthroned in these large, pillared, stone temples like you would see in the Parthenon if you were to visit today. Now these idols to Paul are provoking, verse 16. And so, as was his custom, Paul publicly preaches Jesus in the gathering places of the city, beginning with the synagogue and then the marketplace of Athens, anyone who happens to be there, says in verse 17. Paul's boldness then gets him in gets him brought into what I guess we could call the shark tank of, the, of Athens' best and brightest. This is the Areopagite Council, verses 21 and 22. Now, the Areopagus is like a group of Harvard scholars, if you can picture that, who um, they spent their time, what does it say, in nothing except telling or hearing something new. And Jesus and his resurrection was novel. And so Paul preaches to these pundits, the God of the Bible. And in short, he says, look, you've got loads of gods. But one does not simply craft God out of gold or silver or stone. And God isn't tamed like some kind of household pet. In fact, verse 24, you don't give God a house or temple as if he needs a place to live. In fact, you don't give God food because he never gets hungry. The giving doesn't come from you at all. The giving comes from God. The God of creation, it says, gives you life and breath and place and purpose. Now listen very carefully to verse 26, because this is the heart of the message tonight. God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place. Now, for Paul, from beginning to now in his life, God creates and God sustains and God determines and God places and time, the time, he gives you the place and the time for you and I and all peoples. Life is not left to chance. Your life did not come from some cosmic or random interpersonal force, as you might hear at a university today. God made you. God gave you a place to live. And he gives you the purpose. Look again at verse 26 and 27. The second part of 26, God determined allotted periods, that is, you know, the time and the boundaries, you know, the place of where you live, that you, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Now consider that for a minute. What this means is that no matter what family or culture or side of the tracks that you come from, God puts you right there, right now, for the purpose of finding him. Your unbelieving family, your agnostic neighbor, your atheistic culture, perhaps a Muslim colleague, maybe a Hindu classmate. God made them, put them right where he did so that he would, so that they would feel their way toward him and find him. That was true in Athens. 
This is true right here in Philadelphia today. The unknown God of Athens, verse 23. Who is he? Paul says, he's Jesus. The unknown God in Philadelphia metro area. Who is he? He's Jesus. Brothers and sisters, you have the message of who God is and what he has done and why he has done it. That message is in your hearts. You're holding it in your hands. Are you ready to give it? Are you ready to give it? Are you provoked by the idolatry you see in humanity around you, around you, compelled by the love of Jesus as Paul was to tell the world just who that unknown God is? Well, by Paul's time, the world was just uniquely set up for the nations to hear the message about Jesus and his salvation. Roman roads, they connected much of the empire. There was a common language. Uh, the Jews were spread out all around the Mediterranean world, the diaspora of Jews. And with the Jews came the knowledge of one God and this hope of a coming Messiah. One author has said by, by the one century after Paul, by the second century, Christians were saying it was a divine providence which had prepared the world for the advent of Christianity. Well, what about today? What about today? God's providential gifts to us. Global communication, rapid intercontinental transportation, informational tools like Google Translate that you have right there on your phone. Haven't such things opened up unprecedented opportunities to share and spread the news about Jesus? Well, from the first century on, Christians have been following the example of Christ and his apostles by going out into the world with a message of salvation. Listen, all the union, everything I've read and heard, you are a church with a long and commendable history of sending out missionaries out of Philadelphia, out into the world. And let me emphasize that sending out ambassadors for Christ is an extremely important way that God brings people out of darkness, out of spiritual darkness from every corner of the globe. God is also in the business of moving non-Christians of the world into our American neighborhoods. God is also in the business of moving non-Christians to us. This is part of his strategy, and I want to share with you a little bit more about that specifically tonight, with the idea that God determines the places and the times of every person on this planet. Well, for the last 50 years, you may know this, the United States has been the number one destination for worldwide immigrants. Number one, by far. And I just want to ask, do you happen to know someone either at work or in your neighborhood, uh, maybe at school, that comes or comes from another country, maybe was born in, in another country? Most of you do, I'm sure. In 2017, 50 million people living in the United States, 50 million people living in the United States were born outside the country. 50 million. In 2018 alone, last year, there was over a million international students studying here in the U.S. Christianity Today once ran a cover article that asked this question, where are the missionaries to meet the arriving millions? 
what is God doing bringing the nations to our neighborhoods? What is his purpose? Might it be that millions of Hindus and Buddhists and atheists and Muslims might find God? Just like we read. And how would they do that? Is it not perhaps through the blessing of his people like like you, Alden Union, stepping right outside your door? God has placed you right here, right now for that very purpose. You are, in the words of Psalm 67, a blessing, blessed to be a blessing to the nations. Well, how do you tell the arriving nations about Jesus? Well, as Pastor Joe mentioned, during the school year, I direct an English language program in the Fox Chase neighborhood of Northeast Philadelphia, and we serve immigrants, uh, adult immigrants, and, and their families. It's a Christian ministry, and uh, we teach English, as well as share the Bible and verses and stories, depending on the level, um, which get translated into the languages of the 60, uh, 46 different uh, countries that are represented at the program. The Mercy Ministry of English as a Second Language creates just a wonderful contact point for us. Um, and communities like ours and communities, frankly, like yours, your proximity to places like Upper Darby, which is extremely dense, in immigrants and people from other nations. English as a second language has created a contact point. It's like Paul in Athens going to where the people are. I want to commend this type of ministry to you as a church. Pray that you as a church might consider starting, and I heard you've done this in the past, starting again an ESL class here at Alden Union. It takes, it takes a good number of committed volunteers to get something like this going. But I see this in a church like yours with lots of programs and lots of interest and commitment. Well, in the few years of ESL, um, that we've done ESL in Northeast Philly, we've seen former Muslims come to Christ. We've seen atheists come to faith. We've seen Buddhist monks come and take class with us. And I want to just give you a short story about how God sovereignly works. Every year... In, in December, at Christmas, we take, uh, we take a group of students to a living nativity in New Jersey. And on the bus one year was a Sudanese woman and her daughter who, by God's plan, grew up in Darfur, Sudan. Remember Darfur, Sudan, when it was hitting the news? When war broke out there, um, this mother and daughter fled to Benghazi, Libya, that haven of Benghazi, Libya. And they lived there until the time of the uprising against Gaddafi in 2011. From Libya, this pair made it to Europe. From Europe, they ended up in northeast Philadelphia as refugees. And they found our ESL program, which meets at a church. And by the way, they're from Sudan. They're Muslims. And by Christmas, they were on a bus to hear the gospel at at a live nativity. Two souls, bruised by the rage of the nations, plucked up globally repositioned by God to a place where they can hear and experience the Prince of Peace. Were there times and places determined by chance? Not a chance. 
This is the power of God. Similar stories of God's providence were heard that night from Syrian refugees and from Iraqi families and Moroccans that had come. And I mentioned those countries and people specifically because they're from nations where the gospel witness, um, where there is no, or there little or no gospel witness. And here they are living right here, right now, next door to those of us who have the good news. Will we share it? Will we share it with them? Well, this year, our two small English programs in Northeast Philly served about 500 immigrants. God is bringing the foreigners to his church. And I want to ask you again, could you see all the union opening your doors to the foreigner in your midst? And what would that look like? Well, in Upper Darby, we actually have, we have friends who have uh, housed international students year-round uh, and this day-to-day, life-on-life hospitality gives them just all kinds of opportunities to share the love of Christ in practical ways and through conversations. It's just simply around a meal together at their home. It was just simply opening up a room in their house to internationals. Last year, God brought an Iraqi family with his 13-year-old son to Philadelphia for surgery on his boy's ar- on this boy's arm. The son had nearly lost his arm during an ISIS attack in in Iraq. And here he was in Philadelphia. And in the three months that they stayed, they stayed with us at our house, um, we forged a friendship which just led to so many chances to share God's grace and God's healing for this family. And I I say this, and I'm going to borrow a phrase from a popular book uh, that we've been reading I say this because I think there's a place for all the union to express radical, ordinary hospitality. Radical, ordinary hospitality. What would that look like for you? Could you see yourself opening your home to the foreigner who is right here, right now? Two years ago, a family from Aleppo escaped the war in Syria. They moved just a few blocks down the street from us. Their family of seven they came to Philly, they had no English, no friends, no idea how they were going to make it in America. And the resettlement agency that brought them to the neighborhood, they offered them support for about a month, about no, three months, about three months. And then this agency asked if a congregation, a Christian congregation, would be interested in helping this family adjust to life in the United States over the next year number of Christian singles, Christian families that got together, decided to offer their time and talents to help this family in the, in the most mundane ways you can imagine. Filling out forums, hours of homework help, internet job searches, trips to the doctor, routine medical advice, just simply friendship, someone to talk to from America. And as the relationship has grown, we've had ample opportunities to testify to the God who is our refuge and offers refuge to this family as well. Alden Union, could you see yourself as a congregation coming together to serve a refugee family in your midst? God is bringing the nations to us more than ever. You who are privileged to live in America, more than that, you have tasted and seen the greatness of God in Jesus. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, 
is to spread the fame of Jesus to the nations. The nations that God is bringing right here, right now. Would you be compelled to love immigrants, foreigners, because you, who were once strangers to God yourselves, you've been loved, you've been welcomed to Him and into His family. Now, to some, that might seem, this may seem, mission impossible. But for God, it's His heart. It's His purpose. And we can believe with it comes His provision. In the words of a famous missionary, missionary to India, William Carey, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. You are a church, Alden Union. You are a church of missionaries, purposed by God to bless the nations right here with the knowledge of the unknown God. You're already in the community. You reside, you work, you shop amongst the natives, as well as the foreigners that God has brought here. You're purposed to be a blessing right where you are at. And I want to exhort you to let that blessing flow. Let that blessing flow to all who God has brought you, especially, especially the foreigner. And let me tell you, this is going to take sacrifice. Having done this in Philadelphia for a number of years, this takes sacrifice. It's going to, come, it's going to take overcoming fears you have. Some may mock you as you go and, and you welcome foreigners, perhaps Muslims, into your house with, with, with the gospel of Christ or for the gospel for Jesus. Foreigners, foreigners may mock you even. Foreigners may mock you as you share with them. But as Paul found, some will want to hear you more. Some will want to hear you more. Brothers and sisters, there's an, an indescribable joy of seeing Christ's blessings flow into the lives of those who've never heard about Jesus. Perhaps some of you have seen that. Just imagine, this is from our experience, imagine a former Chinese atheist or a Moroccan Muslim or an Indian Hindu taking the gospel then back to their families. And perhaps even taking that gospel further back to their own countries. As an ambassador for Jesus right here, right now, you could influence the world. Would you open the doors to the immigrant at your doorstep, the foreigner who perhaps literally lives next door to you? Well, what can you do to bless the nations? I want to give you just three practical suggestions in closing. First, I want to encourage you to pray. Pray and meditate on God's love for the world. God so loves the world. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation of it. Deuteronomy 10.18 has become a favorite verse of mine. It says, God loves the foreigner residing among you. God loves the foreigner residing among you. Pray for God to give you his love for the foreigner. And if you don't know how to pray for the nations, let me encourage you to get a copy of that book, that little famous book, Operation World. Begin pouring through it over what God is doing around the globe. There's prayer casts as well that are just as useful. But whatever it is, pray for a new nation each day. And in a year, you've prayed for the entire world. Pray that God would use you to love immigrants. We've been praying uh, to meet North Africans in our little corner of northeast Philadelphia since we moved into Philly uh, four years ago, five years ago now, um, last Sunday to break the fast at Ramadan. Uh, there was over 400 Sudanese who were meeting 
at a local park. They were just outside breaking the fast, all kinds of food, all kinds of people. Answer prayer. I went right over. Got some great food. Pray and be watchful for God to answer your prayers and then act on what he gives you. Second practical suggestion. Get to know the people in your neighborhood. J.D. Payne, in his book, Who Is My Neighbor Anyway? He writes, we have climbed steep mountains, we've forded rivers, journeyed into dark jungles to collect data regarding the world's people, yet we have failed to cross the street to understand our neighbors. Why not take a special concern to meet your neighbors? Live life outside, prayer walk in your neighborhood. Make it a habit to say hello, especially to the stranger. Make it a habit to visit new friends in their homes. There are people everywhere around you who are experiencing the crushing effect of sin in a fallen world. And as a Christian, you are a minister of reconciliation. You are an ambassador for Christ, showing sinners the way, the truth, and life in Jesus. Third practical suggestion, practice hospitality practice hospitality. Americans have so much to learn about practicing hospitality, having lived overseas for 12 years. Hebrews 13.2 says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. One thing I've learned from living overseas for more than 10 years or 12 years now is that internationals enjoy getting to know Americans. Internationals love it. An American home is like Disney Epcot Center for internationals. Immigrants want to see Americans. They want to see them in their habitat, their homes. They want to understand us. They want to experience our culture, our traditions. I've had immigrants uh, tell me that my house was the first American home they've ever been in, and that they'd been living in Philadelphia for years. Foreigners receive a lot of overwhelming, confusing, hurtful day-to-day messages and Your house, a welcoming Christian home, is a refuge. It's a refuge to them. And as you welcome this foreigner, let's say, into your living room, and you exchange your stories about life and culture and their experience in America now, and your hospitality, it's giving them a taste of fellowship, what Christian fellowship is like. Well, tell tell your guests, too what we've learned tonight from Acts 17, that God has a great purpose for bringing them right here, right now to your house. That may be the first time they have ever heard, and hopefully not the last, that God loves them enough that he has purposed their time and place. And I want to just take a, just a short uh, detour to say, if you're an immigrant, if you're an immigrant here tonight, I, I don't know, but if you are... Um, let me encourage you that this message is also for you. Make America your, your mission field. Because American, America and Americans, they need to hear this, to hear the gospel just like anywhere else in the world. God has brought you here to America to tell Americans about the unknown God. So invite Americans into your house, share your story of faith and the message of the gospel. You know, for some Americans, it may be the first time they've ever heard. So, Alden Union, I want to encourage you to show hospitality to strangers. Share your table, share your faith, and you might just find Jesus someday saying these words, I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. God has brought the nations to us 
right here, right now. He has determined their times and places in order to make himself known. Let's pray together. Would, we, would you pray with me and ask God to fulfill his eternal plan to bless the nations among us and bless the nations through us? Father of mercies, we are so thankful for your work in drawing people to yourselves. We want to see your fame made known throughout the world. And thank you that you are bringing to us the nations in this time, in this place. Would you be gracious to us, as the psalmist says, and bless us? Make your face shine upon Alden Union Church, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Oh Lord, let the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy in Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.